You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Tuesday, 12 December, I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, Viv Governor from Rand Swiss. So Google launched their Gemini last week. It's their response to chat GPT. Turns out the promo video was a fair bit of hallucination, but I want to get his sense. I mean, is Google now in the game? Wayne McCurry, FNB Wealth and Investments, it's a total update. Uh, Spa gets an IT expert on their board for the SAP after that SAP rollout disaster. And Fashan Mirage, he's from the Ellen Gray Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Chatted to him before around opportunities in the space, and he's got one of the world's, in fact, the world's largest uranium mine in Kazakhstan as a good investment. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines. MoneyWeb. Why is pick and pay selling groceries at a loss? Smart shopper vouchers are offering discounts of as much as 50% on a shop. Business day. Cabinet says yes to plan to break Transnet's monopoly. Private sector participation under the freight logistics roadmap gets the green signal at a special cabinet meeting. Morning markets. US green. S&P up 0.4%. NASDAQ up 0.9%. Over in the east, green. Sydney 0.3%. Tokyo 0.6. Commodities mix. Gold a little weaker at 1999. Brent uh, 76.17. Platinum also red at 9.18. And palladium uh, 9.67. Rand 19.05. Bitcoin 41,850. Tencent up half a percent in the Hong Kong lunch break. Top 40 opening call 130 points to the green, 0.2% higher. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Viv Governor from Rand Swiss. Viv, appreciate the time today. Google launched their much-anticipated ChatGPT competitor, Gemini, last week. First off, the launch video, by all accounts, and in fact, I think Google's admitted it, was a hallucination, or perhaps more politely put, an outright lie. Yeah, it's, it's basically, if not a lie, then at least severely enhanced. So what they did was they shortened it, they... The way it looked like when you watched that video yeah. was that this thing could see video, like the, the AI could see a video. So they basically had a camera over a, a piece of paper and the guy was showing it things, drawing on the paper, you know, that kind of stuff. And it was giving answers, which seemed to be in real time. Um, I mean, the closest thing I could uh, you know, say to this was like a Star Trek computer. Yeah. You know, how they acted exactly. It was, it looked amazing. And the thing that amazed me, I think I spoke to you about this as well the last time we talked, was the fact that this thing didn't come out um, so much better in terms of the testing than GPT-4 because the video looked like a, a quantum leap better than what uh, you know GPT-4 was. But when we looked at the little test results, it was beating it by like 91 versus 87 or like you know, a couple percentage points here and there. It wasn't saying this was a totally different kind of machine, much, much better than uh, GPT-4. And so, and, and this wasn't even in GPT-4 as the current version. It was the, like the first version of GPT-4 from like nine months ago. Mm-hmm. So it was weird just how the, the discrepancy between what we were seeing was and what the scores were. And then, it, yeah, like you said, it did come out that they were 
basically showing it still images and saying it was actually video. They were basically cutting down the time between the responses and the question and a couple other things along the way that uh, give us an impression of what it could do that was beyond what the actual capabilities is currently. Yeah, so, I mean, so Google's in the game now. They've got their, their Gemini. They, 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 of course, had Google Bard going. And i got to say, I always thought the GPT-4 was slightly better than Bard. They're in the game, but they're just in the game. They, they, to your point, they're not rushing ahead much as when uh, 3.5 came out in, in November last year, which was an absolute revolution. Yeah, look, I mean, Google's kind of weird. Google had DeepMind and he had Google Brain, which they've combined together at the moment. But the thing is that the technology on all all the stuff, the actual underlying basic science on which everything is based is from Google. Uh, Google was the like the first guys out there, but as we know with the computer, Xerox invented everything that Apple made famous. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Windows when they made the real money off it. In the end, you know, the same thing applies here. It could be that Google is the IBM or the Xerox of uh, the AI space, where they do the actual underlying technological changes. But because the problem that they have is that AI really, really uh, goes up against their primary source of revenue, which is search. Yeah. It totally cannibalizes their search uh, business. And so, uh, like with Microsoft, with the, the phone, like with, uh, you know, some other companies out that we've seen in the past, when you do have something that you invent that cannibalizes your current business, you're much more reluctant to use it. Whereas Microsoft basically doesn't have a search business, except, you know, Bing, you can see what it was, but it's not really a, the core part of Microsoft's uh, revenue stream. They were willing to experiment, and that may be giving them an advantage. But the amazing thing here is, like I said, the scores that we're getting from Gemini aren't significantly better than from, from GPT-4. And GPT-4 was trained back in, in September of 2021. It took about a year for them to be comfortable to release it to the public, but it was like pretty much trained you know, two years ago. Mm. So it's kind of disappointing that Google isn't like a huge quantum leap ahead of what GPT-4 is. And the second thing is that, I mean, Google DeepMind is doing some incredible things. So this kind of like damages the reputation, but they've come out with things recently like GNOME, like uh, TensorFlow, mm. like... A new one recently, uh, I think something called Elemental, I can't remember the exact name. But for instance, the uh, weather program stuff that they've done basically does the work of a billion dollar a year program that the U.S. government is running on your personal computer and does it faster and better than a billion dollar program does. The U.S. government has a supercomputer they run that gives you a result once every, like I think, five or six hours mm-hmm. about the state of the U.S. weather system. DeepMind came up with something that you could run on your home PC, a very high-end home PC, but something a person could buy, an individual could buy, not a billion-dollar thing. And it gave you a result every couple of minutes, not every six hours. And yeah. the results were better, marginally better than what the government program was doing. There's yeah. also a new thing that they come out known, which is basically material science, where they've developed a thing that can predict stable crystal formations. Sounds very silly, sounds very like esoteric. But understand, material science is like one of those driving things. You invent a new material. Imagine you get a new kind of steel that's five times as strong or a new kind of copper that's basically more conductive. Mm-hmm. The effect it has on the world economy is insanely large. And they're just releasing these things out of nowhere. We talked a while back about AlphaFold, which yeah. revolutionizes medicine with the proteins. And so they're doing everything great except for the LLM stuff, which unfortunately is their core business. Yeah, and I take your point. It's innovators' dilemma, isn't it? They're scared because they they don't want to lose their search because that's where they make their money. This does suggest to me that the winners into the next year are pretty much going to be the winners from this year. It's going to be Nvidia. They've got their Grace Hopper two hundred coming out. It's going to be Microsoft. I mean, even heck, Meta's been putting out some AR products, mostly into the the open source market. Meta is doing a, a very different thing. I mean, if you listen to the guy that runs the Meta system, is a guy called Yann Lecun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a French guy, but he is there is. There are two teams when it comes to AI. They are the doomers and mm-hmm. they are the accelerationists. 
Acceleration means the faster we get to AI, the better it is going to be because it's going to solve all our problems. Effectively, we are going to invent, you know, not to be like, you know, blasphemous or whatever, but a benevolent God. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's going to solve all our problems. No more climate change, no more disease, no more whatever. And the more we delay bringing this AI into being, the more people suffer, you know, in advance. The doomers believe that the moment we get, you know, super intelligent AI, there's like a 99% chance we all die. And I don't mean like, you know, <laughs> things go badly. I mean, they honestly believe that there's a virtual certainty that all of humanity dies, like literally like dinosaurs. And Yan Lukun is very, very much on the accelerationist side. And he's basically uh, the guy in charge of Meta. And so Meta has a very different policy, at least Meta's AI team. So Meta basically releases all his stuff to the public. Yeah. You can go out and download from a torrent. I think it's like 80 something gigs, but you can download from a torrent the meta AI system, not as good as GPT-4, no means, but it's free and it's available to the public. And people are using that as the basis for creating, you know, their own uh, models, their own uh, chatbots. And that is something that I think is a very interesting plan because we all know Microsoft won the, or IBM won the, uh, inverted commas, the PC wars because mm -hmm. they were open source. Everybody yeah. made IBM stuff. Apple was closed. And therefore, even though in some ways they were better at the start, Developers never use them because, you know, it, it costs too much. And therefore, Microsoft won. And it's possible that Facebook wins or Meta wins because they are the ones that are developing the programs that everybody's using because it's a free program. It's the one that's available to them. Yep. So it's going to get that mass adoption. We've there with Governor Rand Swiss. Always appreciate the insights. That's our poll today, LinkedIn and X. Have you been using any of these AI tools? I mean, maybe uh, a mid-journey, Dolly E, uh, ChatGPT, Bard, whichever they are. Let us know. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. There's no postponing the inevitable. Your money knew this day would come. And you know what? It can hardly wait to start giving some back to you. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Chatting now with uh, Wayne McCurry uh, from FMB Wealth and Investments. Wayne, appreciate the early morning. An Etatal update yesterday. Uh, it was sort of low single-digit decrease. We shouldn't be surprised by that, I imagine. A lot of the, the towels we needed to buy, we bought forward because we were buying aggressively during lockdown. And, of course, consumer under pressure. Yeah, this is not unexpected whatsoever. And in fact, I think the share price went up slightly yesterday. But they mm. did say, you know, sales are down, costs are under pressure. But it's actually a good organization. They run the business very well. And, you know, over time, it's actually quite a leader in its, in its field. But no one's spending big money on their houses at the moment. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah, and that's the key thing. No, no big spend. And they did say they expect weakness to continue through to the year end, which will be June. Spire appointed a couple of uh, directors, one of them an IT expert after that sapper disaster in, in KZN. Does this fundamentally change what has been a disaster? I'm assuming that they're sort of solving for the problem regardless of director appointments. Yeah, look, that was an unmitigated disaster. And it's not the only person that's had a SAP, a SAP disaster. Mm. In, in the implementation. <laughs> so it just seems an inordinately difficult thing to do or something's wrong somewhere. But yes, it will it, it will all help in case they ever do or when they ever do another one. But the horse is already bolted there. Yeah. All 1.7 billion rands worth of horse 
Yeah, I, 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 I take a point. And as you say, not the first time a SAP implementation has gone horribly yes. wrong and won't be the last. Anglo, another rough day yesterday, down another 4% that after the announcement on, on, on Monday of, of, of a fair, fair aggressive bit of cutbacks in production. You and I have chatted commodities a lot. It is a cyclical yes. business. And this is the sort of thing you see at the bottom of the cycle, uh, production being pulled out of the market, which ultimately, medium term, is a good thing. Yes. It is, but this is very typical bottom of cycle behavior. Yeah, I must say the Anglo-American PR people—that's one of the biggest spins I've ever seen. I've ever seen <laughs> when you read the headline, you know, unlock value, yeah, capital. Yeah. This anyway, that that that's irrelevant. Yes, they're cutting back. They're cutting back on capex, but it's exactly the same with all the mining companies, whether you're Anglo-American or Amplats or Kumbo or Sibanya Stillwater or Impala or whoever BHP—they're all cutting back. And ultimately, this is good because it takes supply out of the market at the bottom, you know, creating even more of a vacuum for the upcycle. Because remember, they haven't really spent any capex since 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it, it just makes that supply squeeze ultimately a little tighter when that demand comes back. Last question: We got gold. We got gold trading at just below two thousand dollars. Your your take on gold looking forward? I mean, is there still something in gold for for twenty twenty four? Is it really a case of you know the inflation's coming down, interest rates are coming down, the gold story is largely over? I think the gold story is actually largely over. When you look at the gold price, it did that big spike. Yeah, you know, last well, well, it's well, it's actually it's actually been sitting around two thousand between two thousand and eighteen hundred, seventeen hundred now for a good couple of years. But it did that one big spike through 2000. And every time it does that, it actually comes back. So I think the circumstances for gold, the high inflation, et cetera, as you were explaining, are probably behind us now. So I can't see a good future for gold. We'll leave it there. Wayne McCurry, Senior Portfolio Manager, FMB Wealth and Investments. Appreciate the early morning insights. If seagulls were harder dars who could afford to retire to the coast, what kind of bird would you be? Would you soar over the savannah? or chase summer around the globe. You see, even when you stop working, your money won't. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Chatting with Vashon Maharaj, he's fund manager of the Alan Gray Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Vashon, we've chatted before around frontier markets. They continue to offer value for investors, and particularly if we dig into the fund you're running, weighted average five-year return in equity, 27%, forward price-to-earnings ratio in the fund, 5.9 times. This is really good value out there in markets, which most investors, frankly, know nothing about and would shy away from. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to you today. We continue to see value in frontier markets, and I can maybe justify that in the following three points. The first would be for investors with long-time horizons. We think that frontier markets offer a much wider opportunity set to invest your capital. And within that opportunity set, we are able to find a basket of high-quality companies that have good earnings growth prospects and trade on low starting valuations. 
And the third point is considering the previous two, we think frontier markets are well worth considering as an allocation within your diversified investment portfolio. I want to dig into some of the specifics and some of the companies from a recent note you put out. The one in Kazakhstan, which is Kazatomprom, if I'm pronouncing it correct, uranium. And surprisingly, I mean, they supplied 23% of global uranium in 2022. And that with the uranium price, if anything, is likely to be heading higher in the years ahead. Yes, Simon. So if an investor was solely limited to the JSE and you wanted to get exposure to uranium, your only option would be to buy BHP, which mm-hmm. has about a 6% market share of uranium supplied. But within the overall context of BHP, uranium is tiny in their cash flows. And even if the uranium price doubled or tripled, we wouldn't expect to see much movement in the value of share price of BHP. Mm. In contrast to that, Kazatomprom, as you mentioned, is a uranium pure play. They have a 23% market share of uranium mined and their profits are geared to the uranium price. And the uranium market is quite fascinating. The price of uranium is up from $17 per pound in 2016, which was the recent low, to a spot price today of $83 wow. per pound. And there's a few reasons driving that. The first is there's been about a decade of underinvestment in CapEx by the industry. And as you mentioned, the medium-term outlook for demand is that it's expected to grow faster than supply. And in addition to that, we're seeing chemical, which is the second biggest supplier Mm -hmm. for the 12% market share, experiencing supply disruptions in their mine in Canada. So putting all this together, we expect a prolonged period of elevated prices, which would be very good for the earnings of Kazatomprom. And it's one of the shares that we hold in our fund. Another, and this one out of the Philippines, Century Pacific Food, one of the largest branded food companies in the Philippines, over 200 products, which is really significantly giant. I mean, I'm thinking uh, Tiger Brands locally, I doubt they're probably not even at, at 100 products. And again, in this case, family owned, family controlled, and a really good performer over the last many years. As you mentioned, that specific stock ticks many of our boxes in terms of characteristics that we look for in a good investment Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons that we like the Philippines is they have a very large population in the order of about 114 million and they're very young with a median age of about 26 and the country continues to have a relatively high GDP growth rate of mid single digit to high single digit so buying those consumer stocks such as Century Pacific and a few others that we hold in the fund are the bet that young population is going to get more wealthy over time and consume more. And as you mentioned, there's skin in the game. There's all these other characteristics that we like. So we're very bullish on the prospects for Century Pacific. One, one uh, market you're not so bullish on is Nigeria. And you say in the near term, we could expect to see profits come under significant pressure due to the weaker exchange rate, there's lower consumer disposable income, and of course the recent grid collapse. It's not a case of any frontier market. It is no the market. You mentioned Philippines, which is a large young population, ticks a lot of boxes. Nigeria, not ticking many boxes right now. Great question, Simon. So we do have some holdings in Nigeria, but as you mentioned, there's a, a number of challenges facing that market currently. When the new president was elected a few months ago, that led to the unification of the exchange rates, and it's weakened at the time of his election. It was about 460 naira to a US dollar. It's currently about 70% weaker at 790. If you look at the one-year forward rate, 
the market is expecting further weakness of about 50%. Wow. And we're not seeing a material improvement in the quantity of U.S. dollars or the exchange rate at which investors can extract those dollars from the market. And in terms of the businesses, many of the businesses, such as the mobile network operators, Mm -hmm. have 40% of their costs denominated in U.S. dollars. So as the Naira weakens, we would expect their margins to be squeezed. And with the removal of fuel subsidies, consumers are paying a lot more for fuel. So a few months ago, they were paying about 180 naira per litre. And currently, the price is something in the region of 620 naira per litre. So disposable income is under significant pressure. So when we put those elements together of lower margin for the companies and lower disposable incomes for the consumers, we expect earnings of those companies to come under significant pressure. We'll leave it there. That's for Sean Maharaj, fund manager at the Alan Gray Frontier Markets Equity Fund. Always appreciate the insights. That's it for today. We were chatting with Nick Kunza, uh, yesterday about Friday's U.S. jobs data. We asked if there was enough to keep the Fed from raising rates. Almost half of you said uh, too close to call. 40% said, uh, yeah, you know what, cuts are what's coming next. It's just a time of when. The rest were saying, you know what, we still could see some rate hikes coming in the U.S. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobohle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now, and we'll chat again tomorrow, avoiding January. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.